Well, Psalm 17, beginning in verse 6. Here now, the very Word of God, written for you and for me today. I have called upon you, for you will hear me, O God. Incline your ear to me and hear my speech. Show your marvelous loving kindness by your right hand, O you who save those who trust in you from those who rise up against them. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me under the shadow of your wings from the wicked who oppress me, from my deadly enemies who surround me. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. May God add his blessing to the reading of it to us. Well, beloved in Christ Jesus, this prayer of David is one of confident communication to the Lord in many ways. David knew the testing. He knew the visitation and the trials that God had carried, but, uh, had carried out in his heart very well. David's desire was that God would search his heart, and God did. He thoroughly examined David from the inside out and, and made David aware of the outcome of his search. Yes, David was an imperfect sinner, but he had been given insight and confirmation that he wasn't guilty of the charges that Saul had put against him. And further, God worked in David through David's own self-examination to know that he was honest in his case before the Lord, as he desired vindication from the Lord. David was honest and truthful in the presentation of his case. He knew that he wasn't saying one thing when his heart knew another to be true. And therefore, as David was before the tribunal of God in prayer, he expressed his desire to receive speedy judgment as God looked upon what was upright and made his divine determination. But David was also mindful of not sinning against Saul with his lips by slandering him, even like Saul had done against David. And also David was thankful for the restraining work of the Word of God, the restraining work of God's law at work in him as David was guided and kept away from the paths of sinful men as he was kept away from the paths of the destroyer. And indeed, may we have such a thankful heart ourselves as well for the same thing. We too need restraining grace, don't we? We need God's guard to walk the path that we must never abandon and abandon the paths that we must never walk. Hear that. We need God's guard to walk the path that we must never abandon and to abandon the paths that we must never walk. And knowing this, David's prayer was that God would uphold him in his walk, that his steps would be faithful in the paths of righteousness and godliness. And the upholding work of the Spirit in the lives of his saints, beloved, to, to keep us from stumbling is essential, isn't it? For like David, we know that without it, we will slip, like walking barefoot on wet tile. We need divine grace to live rightly with and before our Lord, step by step. 
And so as David continues in his prayer, let's consider David's call and the reason for it in verse 6. The display of God's loving kindness in verse 7, as well as David desiring that he would be kept the apple of God's eye. Look in verses 9, 8 and 9. In verse 6, though, what does David say? He says, I have called upon you, for you will hear me, O God. Incline your ear to me and hear my speech. Now in David's words here, see the past, the present, and the future picture that David speaks of. It had been, it still was, and it would be his constant, his constant and confident course to call to his covenant Lord for assistance, for protection, for deliverance. And why? Because David had both experience as well as great trust in God's promise that he would hear David. David says in Psalm 86, verses 6 and 7, Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer, and attend to the voice of my supplications. In the day of my trouble, I will call upon you, for you will answer me. David makes the request because he knows and trusts what God will do. The psalmist says similar words in Psalm 116, verse 2. He says, I love the Lord, and why? Because he has heard my voice and my supplications. Because he has inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call upon him as long as I live. Beloved, God's actions move us to response. God's actions move us to response. There's a reason why the psalmist loved the Lord. Because God heard his prayers, he said. This is the same reason he and we must remain constant in calling upon the Lord for as long as we live. Because he has inclined his ear to us, because he bends down and listens carefully to us, so to speak. Jesus is hearing our prayers must deepen our love for him. Jesus' listening to us must keep our mouths open in calling upon him. We see this kind of relationship bear similar fruit in the lives of husbands and wives, don't we? Parents and children, as well as relationships with other family and friends. Truly listening to another person and the evidence of it shows care strengthens bonds, and deepens the love in that relationship and increases the person's desire to keep coming and to keep communicating with you in the future. I call upon you, remember the psalmist said, because you heard my voice and my supplications. The Lord is the perfect listener, even as we are not. He is and, and always has open ears to hear his people. And yet David, beloved, also desired God's love to be even more on display. Look at Psalm 17, verse 7, and particularly 7a. 
Show your marvelous loving kindness by your right hand. And so in what ways is the loving kindness of God marvelous? The love of God is sure and true. The love of God is ever-present and towards His people. The loving kindness of God is marvelous in its unique character. There is no loving kindness like it anywhere else. It's marvelous in its faithfulness. The love of God is gloriously evident in His listening ear and His answers to prayer. And here, David desired God's marvelous covenant love to be shown in a different way. His desire was that the wonderful Hesed love of God would be seen by his right hand, by his power. And specifically how? The love of the Almighty is beautifully seen through his work of deliverance. Never forget, beloved, that at the right hand of God, and indeed His right hand, is between the saints and all harm. Those who trust in God have many enemies, and yet they also have a Savior and a friend who is able to deal with them all. David, in essence, was pleasing with God, show your great mercy to sinners, O Lord. Show it to my mind and remove my ignorance. Show it to my heart and make me all the more thankful, O God. Show it to my heart and renew my hope. Show it to my enemies by your power. Show your power and deliver me. David knew who God is and what he does. Look at 7b. O you who save those who trust in you from those who rise up against them. Asaph proclaims in Psalm 77, 12 through 15, Your way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? You are the God who does wonders. You have declared your strength among the peoples. You have, with your arm, redeemed your people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph, Selah. And with that Selah, we have such a momentous and powerful pause to consider all of these wonderful words of redemption that have just been said. My friends, the living God is the God who saves. (laughs) The living God is the God who saves. And David knew this. He, He boldly proclaimed it and was thankful for it. He saves those who trust in him from their enemies. He will never pull the rug out from under us. But God does even more than this temporal deliverance. For he is the God who saves those who trust him from sin and death. In and through Jesus Christ, he provides eternal salvation. God's loving kindness redeems us through the blood of his only begotten Son. God saves his people from his wrath as they are recipients of his everlasting love 
And as he draws them and welcomes them into the family of God and embraces us as children. The important question is, do you trust in Jesus? Do you trust in Jesus? Is your trust in the God who saves? Do you believe by faith in Christ alone and His atoning work for sinners? So as David's plea was to be heard and delivered, it was also to be protected. Look at verse 8 and 9, particularly 8a. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Now, my friends, many of you may have heard someone say, he's the apple of my eye before. And what's meant when one says that? It means the person they're talking about is someone they're fond of or cherish. And David's use of the phrase here can have that meaning on the one hand. David desired to be cherished as a son of God. However, it means much more than that. Scholars agree that the phrase is referring to the pupil of the eye. Interestingly, in Hebrew, the words mean something like the little man of the eye. It's possible that this idiom was used because you can see your reflection in the pupil of the person you're talking to. The phrase is found in several other places in the Old Testament, In Proverbs 7, verse 2, we read there, Keep my commands and live, and my law as the apple of your eye. Again, we see that idea of cherishing, right? That idea of valuing. Cherish my law. Love my law. God speaking to his people says in Zechariah 2, verse 8, For thus says the Lord of hosts, He sent me after glory to the nations which plunder you. For he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. Again, the valued, the cherished people of God. And so why is the apple or the pupil so important here? Because it's one of the most sensitive parts of the body. It's one of the parts that God has designed the body to automatically protect. When your finger, when a bug, or some other object gets too close to your eyeball, what happens? Your eyelid closes to closely guard and protect your eye. David prayed that God would guard him with similar concern as that delicate and sensitive body part, as as David knows that, that he is part of God's special treasure. Consider Moses' words as he uses this phrase in Deuteronomy 32, verses 9 and 10, and we really see an expansion and a wonderful uh, additional tidbits here in Deuteronomy 32. Beginning in verse 9, we read, For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the place of his inheritance. He found him in a desert land and in the wasteland, a howling wilderness. And notice, he encircled him. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple 
of his eye. Beloved, see the wording here. See the description here of what God did as he viewed him as the apple of his eye and kept him as the apple of his eye. God surrounded, he instructed, and he guarded Jacob. He heard, he delivered, and he guarded David as well, didn't he? And this is illustrated wonderfully as he goes on in verses 8b and 9. He says, hide me under the shadow of your wings from the wicked who oppress me, from my deadly enemies who surround me. And so here David petitioned God to manifest his guard in tender care toward him as a mother bird would care for her young. As the pupil needs guarding, God's people need to be and will be covered by the wings of the Almighty. Beloved, it is good and safe to be in the shadow that those wings provide. Scripture teaches us several things about the shadow of God's wings and why it's so wonderful. One, it's a place of refuge. We see in Psalm 57, verse 1, Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for my soul trusts in you, and in the shadow of your wings I will make my refuge until these calamities have passed by. It's a safe place. It's a shelter in times of trouble and storm, in times when those who are against are raging on and we need protection and solace. But it's also a place of mercy. Consider Psalm 36, verse 7. How precious is your loving kindness, O God! Therefore the children of men put their trust where? Under the shadow of your wings. But it's also a place of joy. Psalm 63, verse 7. Because you have been my help, therefore in the shadow of your wings I will rejoice. So we see that under the Lord's wings, under his protection and his provision, he gives us refuge. We find mercy and we find joy. Consider these words of the Son of David, Jesus Christ, regarding himself. In Isaiah 49, verses 1 and 2, Listen, O coastlands, to me, and take heed, you peoples from afar. The Lord has called me from the womb. From the matrix of my mother, he has made mention of my name. And he has made my mouth, notice, like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he has hidden me and made me a polished shaft. In his quiver, he has hidden me. Beloved, indeed, of anybody, Jesus is truly and perfectly the apple of God's eye. Beloved and precious. And notice the language of verse 2. God made the words of Christ's mouth, the preaching of his servant, sharp, powerful, polished, and effective for his purposes and glory. Remember what John saw coming out of the mouth of Jesus in Revelation 1.16. You can look there if you'd like. 
He had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. The sharp two-edged sword coming out of the mouth of the Lord and King Jesus Christ. Paul teaches us in Ephesians 6.17 that the sword of the Spirit is what? It's the Word of God. And further, the writer to the Hebrews teaches us in Hebrews 4.12 that the Word is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. My friends, this is the sharp word in the servant's mouth. But in addition, the Bible teaches us that the father would hide and protect his son from all of his enemies until he finished the work he had been sent to do. We've considered in previous sermons and previous psalms about the preserving work of God, the father, regarding his son as he kept him, as he protected him, all right? And so as we consider this portion of Psalm 17, see and take the beauty and wonder of the work of Christ with you tonight. Like David, see and know the God who loves and therefore listens closely to the pleas and the prayers of his people. Never forget God's loving kindness to you in Christ which is clearly seen as he is with his mighty right hand, protecting and sustaining you, as he has granted you salvation and deliverance from his eternal wrath and condemnation. But know also your value in Christ, as you are precious to him. You are special to him. And therefore, you are the privileged recipient of being in the place of refuge and mercy and joy under the shadow of his wings. And most gloriously, see how every verse in this passage shows us Christ and his relationship with the Father. For Jesus called upon his Father, having great confidence that his Father heard and listened to him. Jesus knows well that is what it's like to be surrounded by wicked men and yet to wait quietly and patiently upon God and his justice, even as his enemies attacked him like lions. And yet as Jesus is God, the Father's precious and beloved Son, he truly is the apple of God's eye. He is the one who God hid under his shadow and protected until his work was complete. And so we see these wonderful words in the prayer of David. But we also see the wonderful aspects of the relationship that the Father has with his beloved Son. It shows us our God. It shows us Christ. It even shows us God's loving kindness to us as his people and all that he has done and all that he promises to do in guiding, in loving, in kindness, and protection of us. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for this portion of your word. 
And we pray that you would cause us to remember it, not even as we go home today, but in the many days ahead, weeks ahead, O oh God, may we study it and deepen our understanding of it, that we would have a deeper understanding of you and your great love to us, even as you look at us and you keep us as the apple of your eye. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.